0: Welcome to my seventh logbook, an in-between-seasons update on ecosystems for change. In each logbook, I love sharing four things with you. A little peek behind the scenes of what's happening in my day-to-day job as an entrepreneurial ecosystem builder here in the Shenandoah Valley. Some updates from our illustrious field of ecosystem building, mostly here in the US. An introduction to two ecosystem builders who do amazing work in their communities. I call them the unsung heroes of ecosystem building. And lastly, an update from the show itself to let you know what you can expect and what's happening behind the scenes. Mostly, it's just fun for me to let you in on my thought process and invite you to contribute your thoughts and experiences to make this show what it is. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, A citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive. Whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. The local section, or what's going on in the Shenandoah Valley entrepreneurial ecosystem. In early September 2023, I convened the local support ecosystem for entrepreneurs at Commonwealth Crush, a local incubator for winemakers in the region that was recently featured in Entrepreneur Magazine. Yes, when we convene, I try to pick delicious locations that add their own flair. More importantly, almost 20 champions and advocates for startup entrepreneurs and small business owners came together for four hours to share what founders in their communities are struggling with. We brainstormed solutions and collectively problem solved. If you want to learn more about entrepreneurship in the Shenandoah Valley, you can head to shenandoahvalleyliving.com entrepreneurship, or check out my monthly blog post series called The Field Notes in which my team shares what we're hearing from entrepreneurs and accomplices in the field. If you've ever wondered what an entrepreneurial ecosystem builder actually does, start here. The links, as always, are in the show notes. Number two, updates from the field. As far as the field of entrepreneurial ecosystem building goes, you may want to sharpen your pencils before we get into this. First up, Right to Start, an advocacy organization for entrepreneurship in the US, has launched their online community and you can join too. If you're interested in advocating for entrepreneurs in your community, Victor Wang and his team have lots of tools and a supporting community of peers at the ready to help you get started. Head over to Right to Start to learn more. As every year, and I don't know why this still surprises me, conference season is upon us. We have no fewer than three conferences on the exact same October dates. SOCAP takes place in the Bay Area October 23 through 25. Startup Champions Network is hosting their fall summit in Phoenix, Arizona from October 24 through 26. And our local Shenandoah Valley Entrepreneurship Summit will take place October 23 and 24, which is why I'm not attending any of the other two. A few other dates you might want to have on your radar. INBIA's Ecosystem Builder Forum will take place in Pennsylvania on October 2nd and 3rd. And Zebras Unite is hosting DazzleCon in Washington, D.C. on October 20 and 21, which is an event I will be at. If this was too much, too fast, sign up for my fortnightly newsletter Impact Curator and get these dates and other resources straight to your inbox every two weeks. As promised, I am very excited to introduce you to two unsung heroes of ecosystem building. First up is Alex Foreman. I first came across Alex on LinkedIn, of all places. The way she talked about her community and the change that she wanted to see, I was immediately intrigued. She works at the intersection of community development, technology, and venture capital, as you'll learn from our conversation. She is a super connector and spends a majority of her time serving as a conduit for local black and brown founders and those interested in entering the Chicago market. Here's what we talked about. Alex, hey, thank you for coming on the show and telling us what you're working on, where you're working on it, and what gets you up in the morning. So to start, tell us a little bit more about what do you do? and how does this fit in with ecosystem building?
1: Thanks for having me, Nika. Really a pleasure to be here. And so, you know, as an ecosystem builder, I'm going to be honest, I just found out about ecosystem building last year, right? I think we all know what an ecosystem builder or have some sort of inclination as to what an ecosystem builder is, but it's a phrase that we don't necessarily use um, all too often. It's kind of, uh, just start to enter into the innovation entrepreneurship field as common knowledge, right? So, um, a little bit of what I do is I would say that simply put, I'm a connector of people, resources, and opportunities, and I think that that is at the core of what a ecosystem builder is. Someone who prioritizes community and connectedness, and tries to, if not solve, lessen the burden of whatever you know problem other people are solving for, right? <laughs> So right now in Chicago, I'm building a group called the Shy Tech Collective. Stands short for Chicago Technology Collective. And so at first it was a coming together of three, you know, individuals with their own brands. My partner, George or Makunde Martin, is um, my partner, he works for Google. He's originally from Maryland, right outside of Prince George's County. And he had an, a brand called TechLink Club where he was doing really fun events here in Chicago, you know, taking it away from the food and liquor that most of these events happen. So we really just wanted to create a, a fun environment for folks who were technologists of co- color. And then you have my partner, Christina Rice, who had her brand called The Sanctuary. And she was more so community development involved and civic engagement. And so we just brought all those brands together and we create the collective. And so now we operate as one unit where we, you know, engage this community in Chicago by one creating networking events or happy hours or other fun opportunities like we did a workout event earlier in the year one of uh the women in our mem- in our membership she actually is in tech but has a um her certification in personal training so we gave her the opportunity to lead a class or you know sometimes we'll go on trips like for example we are actually we're hoping fingers crossed to plan a trip to detroit to meet with another ecosystem builder, Johnny Turnich, who has started a brand called uh, Detroit Tech Saturdays, which has really grown in the past you know, years. So I don't know how long he's been doing it, but since I've been involved or been able to see what they've been doing, I've seen a lot of growth. So we're trying to bring that innovation, entrepreneurship, venture momentum to the south side and west side of Chicago. But I think first it's about building that community.
0: Why is that needed right now in Chicago? Aren't there hundreds of events and networking groups and yada yada for tech entrepreneurs to get together? Or what's driving you in putting this together?
1: I think that when people speak about Chicago or think about Chicago, because I've had some conversations that are similar to this conversation. And They see, you know, Sears, well, I'm a millennial, so Sears Tower. I know it's changed to Willis Tower. (laughs) But they'll see the Sears Tower. They see the, you know, downtown. They see, you know, that we are a financial, you know, city. We are, to me, the flagship city or the premier city of the Midwest. But I think if you are not a Chicagoan or you're not a American history buff, you won't understand the importance and pertinence of the South Side as it pertains to let's say Black or African-American history in the United States. Um, I was just speaking on this recently where Atlanta right now is like that city where, you know, if you're a progressive Black, African, whatever person, you go to Atlanta to, to start out, right? And it, it, it good for them, you know, grateful for that. In comparison, Atlanta does not, well, I would say this, I could compete with someone, right, or debate with someone back and forth, for the last 100 years of, of, of history of how important Chicago is versus Atlanta, right? If you're talking about the creation of the city from Jean-Baptiste DuSable, or you know MLK living on in North Lawndale on the West side, and being quoted as saying that Chicago was one of the most racist places he had ever been to outside of the deep South, right? So there's a history of deep divestment, of deep segregation, and, you know, we don't want to live in the past, but we also don't want the past to repeat itself. So I think that is why we decided to add to those hundreds of events and, you know, our programs, et cetera, just because we weren't seeing the, the affirmation of everything that a program or um, business needed to really reach the audience that we were trying to reach.
0: I have to ask you this. I talked to Rick Tarosi from Portland, Oregon at the end of twenty twenty two and he's an ecosystem builder in Portland. They used to do a lot of events and then the pandemic hit. And we spoke after the pen towards the end of the pandemic. I don't know if we have officially declared it over, declared it over. And he said, I'm not sure that the old event formats work anymore. Like we used to do you know, pizza Saturday or Tech Thursday or whatever. And he said, I wonder whether this is what our community truly still wants or whether we're just hanging on to things that used to work sometime in the past. And we really need to figure out what post-pandemic networking or meetups or whatever looks like. How are you guys thinking about the format? I've already heard like you're doing pretty... It doesn't sound like you're standing around with hors d'oeuvre in one hand and a glass of champagne in the other hand. Tell us a little bit more about the spirit of these events and how you're, how you're even conceiving of them.
1: One, to answer how we're conceiving them or thinking about them. We, we built a community first, a GroupMe community. Right. Um, And we really just surveyed and had one on one conversations with the members to see what they were interested in doing. And we we got a lot of, you know, we don't want to do the same old bar, happy hour, same old dinner. We want to actually get out there. We want to have more connectedness, more intentional connections, more opportunities or just exposure to different things. Right. And so we we did our best to meet folks in the middle. Because at the same time, we, we have a mission, we have a vision, and we have to be data-oriented you know, so that we can continue our efforts. But at the same time, we, the community, we will be nothing without community. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us to at least engage uh, individuals in, in various ways in which they want to be engaged with. So one of the events that we recently did for uh, Tech Chicago Week or Chicago Tech Week, it's, it's our startup week here, is um, Coded in Color, Black and Tech Night. Now that was open to everyone. Uh, It's not just for Black people, you know. But at the end of the day, we were unapologetic about the title just because, basically touching on what I said before, Chicago has a very um, insidious history of race relations and economic policies. And we wanted to make sure that there was a presence during this week specifically for this group that has been disengaged or they sometimes have a bit of an uphill battle when it comes to imposter syndrome or trying to figure out where their place is. Um, and, I, and I think it's okay to say, Hey, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And I need to find a community that will take my head and guide me to what I need to know versus thrusting me into this new industry that I don't know anything about. And I'm just left to my own vices to figure
0: it out. Right. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> is this your main gig? Is this how you make a living and you all like throw it all together and you're building out a business model? Or is this something you're doing on the side? Is this something you're building with a long-term horizon? It sounds like, can you give me a sense for what else you do? Or is that the core of your day in and day out work?
1: Yeah. So it's a little bit uh, of both, right? And then I'll explain. So it started off as a, as a hobby, not really, it was something I already did. But I knew I wanted to be intentional about it and create create a business model out of it. Um, but the last year, I would say that it's it's somewhat transitioned to my main gig until I find you know work. Right now, I'm currently unemployed or I'm not affiliated with any larger institutional organization, which is not a bad thing. Um, I really do think that this is this is my purpose and that this needed to be done, even if I you know were to leave next year and step down and put someone else in charge. I want to position chi Tech Collective as an economic development agency on the South side of Chicago. I think that, you know, when you look at the landscape of, of that area specifically, there is no economic development agency that works with the purpose of bringing people into technology um, or with the purpose of doing something that is not a brick and mortar, if you will, not small business focused. And I think that that's, that's something to say in itself to to say that, we don't necessarily think that there's enough of this sort of energy in this area, right. To build programs for that. If you want that, you have to come downtown, which is inequitable in itself. And and so to add, as far as, you know, what else am I doing um, in the community right now, as I look, you know, actively in slash passively for work, because this is a job in itself, I make sure that I try to connect people again as an ecosystem builder That's your bread and butter. So I do my best to still take calls, messages on LinkedIn from different founders who are looking for, you know, like I had a guy who came to Black & Tech Night. He's actually from London and he has a uh, beauty hair care or hair tech uh, startup here based in Chicago. And it was like, hey, I've been trying to get in contact with you for the last two months. You know, of course I said, sorry, I'm so sorry. And he said, yeah, I just want to get connected to anyone who's in my, you know, sector or who you think I should get involved with. And by the weekend, I had three or four folks lined up for him. Right. So, you know, that's what I spend most of my time doing. If it's not traveling to do just that, right? Going to other ecosystems to seeing and seeing who we can bring back to Chicago or who wants to be connected to Chicago. Awesome.
0: Not a small feat.
1: No, not a small feat. And I need, I need help actually. I don't know why I keep, um, I think maybe I'm a masochist. I kind of like the pain of building.
0: We all have a little bit of martyrdom about us, but yes, <laughs> it is it is a team sport. Um yeah. I'm super thrilled to hear you have co-founders and part partners in the collective. That thank you. Means you're not shouldering all this by yeah. yourself. Alex, what's your background? How how do we find ourselves here today? How how did you get into the space? Um, that, you know, how did you find yourself being an ecosystem builder?
1: Yeah, I think the short uh, answer to that is I was a founder myself. I, I attended Southern Methodist University in Dallas. I went in with about 30 other peers who were my age. We actually were a feeder program. So from seventh grade summer, I was in a program called t or the Physician Scientist Training Program based out of Philadelphia. My, my director's claim to fame, if I remember the story right, was that he Uh, was on the admissions council board for Temple University's medical school. And for so many years or decades, he just was like, there's not enough diversity in in these applications. So he decided to create a program for diverse or minority students who were going to go into medical school. So the intention was that from my seventh grade, similar to my first year of medical school, I was going to be in this program. So I went into school with 30 people that I had grown, grown up with actually for, you know, since my seventh grade summer. We would always fly into Philadelphia. We would live in the, the dorms there. We would work in web bitch laboratories. I worked at the University of Pennsylvania and their proteomics core for two years, then transitioned to Johns Hopkins, Bloomberg School of Public Health, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, going to Southern Methodist University though was a culture shock. You know, I my family's from the South, but I had never been to Texas uh before then, let alone live there. Dallas is not Houston. It's not Austin. It is its own situation. And, you know, I just was like, I know what I wanna do is business. Even when I thought I was gonna do science, I was like, oh I wanna um I wanna own the hospital. Right. I wanna <laughs> invest in the pharmaceutical brands, et cetera. And so I just got to a point where um personally I was going through some mental woes, some family woes, and I had to step away because I said, I want to start a business and it's going to be too hard to try to finish school and to try to change my major to this, right? So I just left, um, came home to my parents. I'm not going to stay here. I went back to Dallas. I just wanted to let you know that I, that's what my decision is. And I went back to Dallas. I was a short uh, order cook, uh, line cook for about two, three years as I tried to go back to school and start my own business. And that business was Hands of Honey, a social impact startup. And the mission of Hands of Honey was to act as both a marketing platform for small minority-owned businesses, as well as a financial intermediary for those businesses, uh, with the goal of ensconcing them in the southern sector of Dallas. So sunny South Dallas, um, Oak Cliff, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, that, that one thing led to another um, I generated revenue, but I wasn't successful. Technically, I wasn't profitable. So I had to abruptly go back home I got evicted. I was all, it was a hefty situation, right? So when I say I'm intim- I intimately know how it is to be a founder and go through things. I, I really do. Um, and so I came back home, packed everything up, and you know, I had a chip on my shoulder, got involved with 1871, looked for any fellowship or anything I could get my hands on that would just give me where I wanted to go, right? Cause I wasn't gonna give up. And then the pandemic hit and I had to say, you know am I gonna walk out of the pandemic the same or am I going to apply myself and just get a little bit of egg on my face or when my dad says, eat some crow pie, right? And, and get to the next level. So I did UX UI programs, software engineering programs product management programs, just so I can see what is it, what are the players, right? To these startups and how do you really build a team um, of, of roles that you actually need, right? And so, um, yeah, and and actually one of the um, programs that I, that I had the opportunity of doing was the inaugural cohort of a VC fellowship here in Chicago, which is now the Chicago Blend Fellowship. And so I successfully scouted two startups, City Health Tech and Rumi, and they were invested in by Fifth Star Funds, which is an evergreen fund here in Chicago. And one of the founders from City Health Tech, uh, he commented on Joey Womack, the CEO of Goody Nations, uh, post December of 2021, that said, "Hey, I got the perfect person for you as you're trying to build your team. I got that job as the community manager of Goody Nation, which is a post accelerator based out of Atlanta, and the rest is history."
0: Wow, that's just a wild journey. I'm somehow not surprised, but wow, <laughs> you've seen things and you've been places, and here you are now. Hey, Alex, what is one thing you wish people knew about the work that you're doing in Chicago? If if you could impart one message on, on people who've never met you or maybe even people who have met you, what do you want them to know? Mm.
1: That the South Side innovates. The South Side is open for business. The South Side is an area that has always, always produced innovators, entrepreneurs, whether it been Ida B. Wells or, you know, Jesse Jackson or Jet Magazine, Ebony Magazine, like this is an area that has a lot of talent, has a lot of potential. And if you're intentional about it, you will make a great living here and have great impact here as well.
0: What is your hope for your ecosystem? Where do you hope to see it in five to 10 years?
1: My, my biggest hope for the Chicago ecosystem is that we tie up these loose ends and that when we say that we're working together, that it is apparent. No one can even question that we're working together because it's so in your face and the impact is right there. You know, we we will be a premier, and we're already premier city, but I, I, I don't see anyone competing with Chicago if we were to do that.
0: Awesome. Uh, last question, Alex, how can we support you? What does support look like for you right now?
1: Yes. Support right now is between funding and time, right? So when it comes to funding, one of the uh, opportunities that we have right in front of us is to take a delegation of ecosystem builders, emerging fund managers, and technologists to AfroTech this year, which will be November 1st to the 5th in Austin, Texas. So we're working with folks like Keontae Bush from Venture for Them, who has a pre-accelerator, uh, Johnny Turnage, who has a Detroit Tech Saturdays that's really growing, and you know others. So we would love to uh, bring those folks there. So if you're interested in sponsoring or know someone who will be please let us know. As far as time, always looking to connect with more ecosystem stakeholders. Those who you know, are saying, hey, we're doing something in Birmingham or we're doing something in Reno. Can we come to Chicago and see how you're doing it? Or Do you want to show us how you're doing it? We'll love to exchange ideas and be thought partners as we continue to build our ecosystems.
0: Fantastic. Alex, thank you so much for making the time to share a little bit about your work and give us an insight into what's happening on the south side of Chicago. I hope to bring you back on the show one day for a full-blown conversation. And until then, bon courage. I don't know, best of luck. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) May people throw millions of dollars at you and your efforts. And I hope you get to do what you're so good at at and passionate about. Thanks for making the time. Thank you so much. Hey. I don't want to distract you from this awesome conversation, but I do want to let you know that I curate a fortnightly newsletter with resources, events, and behind-the-scenes insights into the show. I would love to pop into your inbox every two weeks to hand-deliver those goodies. Sign up through the link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. The second unsung hero of ecosystem building is Nicolas Hiraldo. Nick and I met through a federal program called the Community Navigator Pilot Program, or CNPP, that I manage here in the Valley, while he runs a statewide version in Wyoming. In a way, we were able to swap some notes about the program and our experiences with federally funded ecosystem building efforts. Prior to this position, Nick was involved in workforce and economic development in Wyoming for about 10 years. From helping disabled veterans find good jobs to helping small business owners around the state start or grow their enterprise. Nick was born and raised in Wyoming and served as a paratrooper in the U.S. Army from 1999 to 2003. When he returned from service, he enrolled in the University of Wyoming and graduated with a bachelor's degree in journalism. Nick is passionate about strengthening community through entrepreneurship and working towards building a thriving entrepreneurship ecosystem throughout the state. Meet Nick in the short conversation and make sure to read his written interview on Ecosystem Builder Hub. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I found out about you through a different podcast and found out that you also run a community navigator pilot program in short CNPP, which is what I do here in the Shenandoah Valley. And how do I put this delicately? I don't know many small business development centers that have a podcast and that have a well-produced podcast and that talks about things that I think are really, really interesting. But your episode I listened to twice because it was so insightful how you are combining stakeholders and, and building this big coalition. And then not just that, but As you were going through the program to support entrepreneurs in your state, you figure what works, what doesn't, and then you had the courage to course correct. So huge fan of how you guys did what you did. Before we go there, how do you even know how to do this? What is your personal background, professional background? How do you know how to run a pilot program of something that has never been done before?
2: Well, first off, thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate the uh, opportunity to to be on our on your podcast. So, thank you so much. Um, in terms of like where we figured out or how to go about running this pilot program, it really was just uh, building the ship in um, in mid flight, really. Um, but I would say I leaned heavily on my uh, like basically past decade of uh, working. And workforce development and economic development here in Wyoming. Oh, and also my, uh, my military experience too. Like it all happened to coalesce together and I was able to draw from that and kind of start working out this pilot program and, and trying to make it work. And when it didn't work, try again, you know, just like more dogged determination to make this thing work.
0: Wonderful. You brought up economic development and I know that in the written part of this conversation, you mentioned that we do need to rethink economic development and that one of the greatest things we need is that cultural shift, that mindset shift away from traditional economic development, yet that is your background. Tell me more about what kind of shift you would like to see and what the issue is with traditional economic development as you see it.
2: Yes. So the the thing that I've noticed with economic development has been like this mindset of, Let's just bring um, big business in. You know, all we need is like another company. We can just create like a new company town 2.0, right? Or via that, let's give away um, like let's give them some tax breaks. Let's make some incentives. You know, like that type of thinking. Like it hasn't panned out in the last like however many years we've been trying this. And um, I've seen that here in Wyoming, where uh, we we try really hard to bring in a big company. We do, you know, we, we build all this stuff, you know, like on taxpayer dime. We, we give away a lot of the, you know, like you know, tax goodies, but sometimes like they, they just don't follow through. Or if they do, they, they shut down shortly afterwards and move on. So it's, it's really not a sustainable model. And it's really not taking into account like the whole community. That's primarily where like I would like to see economic development go in terms of like you know like more like the entrepreneurial ecosystem where there's like a like more of a, like a holistic model that includes traditional economic development partners but also non-traditional economic partners like you know like nonprofits community groups small businesses themselves like having a more kind of yeah just a more like you know like diverse group of of stakeholders working together to push the uh, community forward
0: i get so frustrated when i see how much money a, a community is willing to spend or an economic development office is willing to spend to attract some big company. And knowing in our field of work, how much good that money could do for local entrepreneurs who are a lot more likely to stay in the community to, yes, maybe grow a little bit more slowly, but create jobs in the community and keep a lot of those dollars in the community. So I am totally with you. I think traditional economic development, Del Gains calls it a, a race to the bottom because it pitches communities against each, against each other to attract those big fat companies, and it's not a healthy way to build resilient, wealthy, thriving communities. I agree with you there.
2: Another aspect of this uh, this old economic you know, this old thinking is, in terms of like the type of clients that all the economic development partners want to serve. Like everyone here wants to have like some big tech company or some tech startup, you know, like taking some sort of um, Technology and commercializing it, you know, thinking that there's like these diamonds in the rough here in Wyoming, that there's like a tech entrepreneur or some, um, some scientist that's going to have like this amazing breakthrough technology that could, you know, we can capitalize on. But I think it kind of fails to see who the majority of the small business owners here, all the, the, the real people that, you know, contribute to the state's economy. It's not all these like tech guys. It's like, uh, mom and pop shops. It's retail. It's, service companies, like very small, sometimes like sole proprietorships. I see these organizations always chasing these unicorns when right in their backyard are the engines of like economic growth. The biggest contributor to a state's GDP are the companies that are in the zero to five year age startups, like, but just tr- you know, traditional small business startups. And we have the capacity, we have like the these guys in our backyard all we we really need to do is really just actually reach out to these folks see what they need and try to put the pieces together in terms of what can make a more well-functioning like more representative uh community
0: and you know what so many people who chase unicorns don't seem to see or understand is that even if there is potential of some unicorn company somewhere in your state or in your region, if you don't invest in the ecosystem, they may never see the light of day. Or because there is no ecosystem, they move somewhere else before they even get big. Or maybe there is some company that if, you, if only you supported it, it would have a growth potential. Like That's why we invest in ecosystems and not in individual entrepreneurs, because that rising tide lifts all boats, and if you're lucky, yes, you will find your your unicorn. And maybe it takes 10 years, maybe you never find a unicorn, but guess what? You end up with a thriving ecosystem of a lot of small businesses and solopreneurs. And what's to hate about that? I don't know. It seems so obvious to me. I don't know why not more people get it. Um, Nick, I do want to link to the podcast episode you did with the SBDC so people can get the full background on who you are and, and how your community navigator pilot program works. But can you give us like two sentences on CNPP, how it's working and what it is?
2: Sure. So uh, the CNPP stands for Community Navigator Pilot Program. Uh, it was a uh, large pilot program funded by the SBA, the U.S. Small Business Administration. Uh, came out of the ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act. And what it really was there to do was to um not reinvent the wheel, but basically kind of marshal all of the um, economic development resources and services uh of uh, different partners in, in different communities and marshal those those resources and target it towards underserved underrepresented uh communities uh throughout that those communities or in our case the state because I think the where the the thinking was is that I think the, the feds and the SBA in particular looked at all these COVID relief programs that came out right after the pandemic, post pandemic, and realized that there was a lot of folks that weren't able to take advantage of those. And there was a lot of factors that, that went into it, but primarily it turned out, you know, turned out that most of those were from underrepresented communities, like women owned, veteran owned, minority owned businesses. And so this was a way to kind of help, um, level the playing field provide some like, you know, some additional assistance, even though they missed out on the COVID relief packages, like at least we have some, we can marshal all of our services together to to help these folks and level the playing field.
0: Give us a quick overview of who the partners were that were part of your consortium.
2: So here in Wyoming, it's a, we're a tier two uh, pilot program. That's a statewide program. We have six partners or spokes as they're called, because we operate in a hub and spoke model. So uh, I like to think of them in kind of three broad categories. So there's our spokes that deal with access to capital. Wyoming Smart Capital Network is our, uh, they're not a direct lender, but they're kind of a facilitator. So they kind of help bridge risky, you know, businesses that, you know, through, uh, you know, maybe collateral or they're a little bit too risky for the bank, but they kind of help bridge that. They take a percentage of the loan and they help bridge it and get those uh, small businesses um uh, capital or get them loans. Um, we have a uh, community, uh, a native CDFI in our consortium. That's a Wind River Development Fund. And they're our only direct lender, but they they focus primarily in, in the area in and around the uh, Wind River Indian Reservation. Um, another capital access partner, it's like more of a novel approach. It's our crowdfunding partner called the Local Crowd. So they have operate their own kind of um, locally owned and operated uh, crowdsourcing platform here in Wyoming. Our advising and training partners include the SBDC, so the, uh, the Small Business Development Center Network here in Wyoming. So uh, they have business advisors all throughout the state that work one-on-one with, uh, with businesses, offering them just basic coaching and advising on every kind of uh, basic topic you could think of of running a business. So they're part of our consortium, uh, the Women's Business Center, another SBA resource partner. Um, So the Wyoming Women's Business Center is also offering kind of, you know, one-on-one advising and training. Their kind of unique value proposition for the community navigator has been connecting clients with photography and videography uh, vendors, you know, basically where the grant helps pay for those vendors to provide free services to uh, clients. So that's been very good. And also offering, um, access, free access to uh, Canva Pro, that graphic design uh, software, and also a uh, online intensive boot camp program called Geek Pack. And it's all focused on digital marketing. So it's basically just like a six-week intensive on the basics of Facebook marketing, the basics of search engine optimization, those type of things. And the uh, SBDC also uh, did some novel things as well. Um, Taking a lesson from the Women's Business Center, we we you know, worked with uh, with attorneys and accountants to provide some free, you know, free certain, you know, basic services for uh, startups, and also uh, coordinated with some marketing consultants to provide one on one marketing for these folks. So yeah, so we were just trying to take a novel approach to, to that. And then there's our, uh, I'd say, like access to uh, to technology and equipment partners. So that includes the University of Wyoming Extension Office and the. Uh, public libraries through a program called library to business their novel approach was uh, taking the taking the uh, grant funding and buying equipment such as um, laptops and uh, they would they call it a business station. So it's like a um, It's it's a you know, like a little stand. It's, a, it's got wheels but on it is like a, a, a Laptop a projector and it's all preloaded with business plan writing software and also a webinar Uh, equipment. It all comes with a webcam as well. And then also, um, podcasting equipment. So that's, that's really cool. So those are some really like, you know, like I've been saying a novel approach to, you know, seeing, you know, providing free access, uh, to especially our rural folks here in Wyoming that, you know, otherwise probably would never have been able to like one, afford some of these, this equipment or even access it. Because there's like, where are they going to access this, part, this stuff from? So the University of Wyoming uh, Extension Office, their approach has been to connect rural entrepreneurs to, to resources uh, that are going to help them with their particular needs. So in Wyoming, we've identified um, kind of food businesses, uh, small producers, also um, youth entrepreneurs kind of through the, through the 4-H program, trying different approaches to uh, you know, to engage with uh, with youth entrepreneurs. So that's kind of the um, the tour of all of the uh, uh, all of the spokes here in Wyoming.
0: Nick, at the time of this recording, we are seven quarters into an eight quarter program. What are some of the things that you've learned, or to what extent has your ecosystem changed with Community Navigator?
2: Some lessons learned have been. Now that I've been able to kind of travel around the state and, and talk to all these stakeholders, it's still how, I, it's more of a, like a revelation of how siloed we still are and that there's like a, a lot of work to be done for uh, economic development partners in Wyoming to really start communicating with each other, coordinating with each other, collaborating with each other. And I think that's just because of this kind of scarcity mindset that everybody has because that's, and that's, endemic to Wyoming, which kind of, you know, uh, inhibits this, you know, that, that need to collaborate and coordinate.
0: Well, and I think it's just, it's a tall order to build a statewide ecosystem. I mean, I'm in a really, really rural area, but it's 18 localities. It's doable. You can drive from one end to the other in about two and a half hours, So it's doable, and even we still have silos, and even we still try to figure out how to break down silos and get people to communicate and work well with each other, but on a state level, especially a state that is, you know, in large parts rural, that has very different demographics, that's a tall order. That is not something that you can fix in two years. And so now we have a thriving ecosystem. (laughs) Right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It was, um, it was very daunting, especially in, given such a short runway. Right.
0: So, assuming, and, you know, all credit to the SBA, this was a pilot program. My assumption would have been that after a pilot comes a longer term program where we can implement all the things that we learned and we learn from our mistakes and share them with each other. And then really, I feel like the work is only just starting now, now that we've had two years to, build trust in our communities, to bring the right stakeholders together, to figure out what works and what doesn't. And as as it stands right now in September of 2023, there is no follow-on program that we know of anyway. I am curious, when the money runs out at the end of November and this pilot is complete, what is going to happen to you as a hub, to the spokes, to the ecosystem, and by extension to the entrepreneurs in Wyoming?
2: Right. So- our backup plan, which isn't much of a backup plan, is the uh, no-cost extension. So SBA has, has uh, offered this you know, extension to, to hubs and spokes. I have like a little bit of uh, funding left over, a little bit of gas left over in the tank, but it's only going to go for another six months. So we put in our extension. So the I guess like the hopeful, like fingers-crossed plan would be that we get the extension, and I just keep we keep uh, doing what we're doing until uh, May thirtieth. But that, like I said, like, that's not like a very, you know, a long-term sustainable plan. Um, uh, afterwards, um, lucky for us, like our spokes uh, have, um, have additional funding sources. They'll be able to continue uh, past November 30th or May 30th, depending on how it goes. So, uh, but unfortunately for me and my uh, co-pilot in this endeavor, um, Mandy Bailey, our job is done. So we'll have to be moving on. So that's, that's the only, that's the unfortunate thing. We're looking at other things. I, I know that the EDA, the Economic Development Agency, has, um, a big grant, uh, program called, uh, Recompete. Came out of the CHIPS Act. And, um, interestingly enough, like, there's two communities in Wyoming that, that, um, fit or like that qualify for, like, this, this funding. Um, yeah it's it's very interesting i've like i've been I've been trying to work uh work behind the scenes like to all those like you know those community you know those specific communities and trying to see if there's like a a proto consortium there if there's like the, the the skeleton of a group that can come together and, and maybe put in for this but um it's been tough I haven't gotten a whole lot of work back and our deadline is looming it's October 5th so so I don't know if it's going to work out or not if that works, then great. We'll be doing another pilot program for <laughs> another few years. But if not, then um, I'll just have to find some other place to
0: land. All right. Well, fingers crossed. Nick, last question for you. What is one thing you wish people knew about the ecosystem in Wyoming? People like me who've never been there, who don't have much inside. What is one thing you would want us to know?
2: They are hardworking entrepreneurs that are, providing like tremendous value to these communities that are filling filling needs out here. And I just feel like they just don't get the kind of recognition that they deserve. Um I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, but you know, like a lot of the our clients that we work with are um blue collar folks, you know, just working people who have um through uh their own hard work, determination, and uh desire to um or just their passion you know, want to go into business for themselves and, um, and need to be not only celebrated, but supported. Kind of like that kind of pioneer spirit of Wyoming, I think is really, really showcasing these folks. Everybody's like doing good work. If we work together, we may be able to get go for those big, bigger grants or that we, like, we could pool resources and be more efficient in how we coordinate things and basically just be able to serve more people together. That's the. Uh, My hope, at least, for here in Wyoming.
0: We can do more together. What a great note to end on. Nick, thank you so much for making the time. I can't wait to see what's next for you. So please do stay in touch. And thank you again for coming on the show. It's been great to hear from you.
2: Yeah, I'll be sure to stay in touch. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a a pleasure.
0: Find out more about these unsung heroes of ecosystem building on ecosystembuilderhub.com where we published a written interview with both Alex and Nick, together with previous features from my last logbook, including Sammy Popat and Nita Ansari. Happy reading, folks. And lastly, updates from the show. After six seasons and close to a dozen of bonus episodes and logbooks, I have made the difficult decision to put the show on hiatus. My original plan and hope had been to run this show for many years and learn in public together with you, the listeners, and my guests. There are so many topics we haven't discussed yet, so many recent developments that deserve an in-depth conversation, and so many more stories of brilliant ecosystem builders to be told. But for two reasons, it's time for a break. Number one, I'm incredibly grateful to my sponsors, Ecomap Technologies, that threw their full support behind season number six. And it made me realize that shouldering the full financial cost for the show on my own is not sustainable. Without sponsors like Ecomap, a sustainable show is just not possible. Reason number two. After an intense time of learning, I feel I need a moment to reflect and process what we've learned in the six seasons so far. I always imagine the show to be a process of co-authoring the playbook for how we might support the dreamers and doers in our communities by taking a systems approach to social change. I feel as though I've gorged myself on knowledge, and like after every good meal, I need to go and take my thoughts for a walk, let them settle, and digest everything I've learned. It's entirely possible the show returns once I have a more sustainable financing model, and I know what exciting topics we should tackle next. The good news is my newsletter Impact Curator remains active and if you're keen on having me speak in your community, you can always book me for speaking engagements and workshops. With that, my friends, we wrap the last episode of Ecosystems for Change in 2023. Thanks for everything that you do to make a difference in your community. Annika I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawanda Setula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.